Amen. During worship, the Lord said to me, to not despise this time of purification. Sounds kind of ominous, doesn't it? (laughs) And you all know my personality. My response to that was, what? Please explain. It was really what Shannon said as she was reading the Psalms and as she was speaking to the Lord here during worship. It's this purification of our yes. It's when we give our yes, we're tested in that yes. (laughs) kind of stinks that it has to be that way sometimes, though. But that's the truth. Because what comes from our mouth in order to be matched from our heart, is tested. God tests it to purify it. That's why he said in Revelation 3, against those who are lukewarm, he said, purchase gold of me that has been tested by fire. Right? In other words, let me purify your heart's desire. So he said, don't despise this time of purification. He went on to say that Jesus went to the cross by himself. And yet it wasn't stated to be that way. Peter said, I will die with you, though nobody else does. I'll die with you. But yet we know that he didn't. In fact, every single Disciple, those that were closest to him turned and ran because of fear. They were afraid. They were being tested in that fire. Now that example should give us this bright vision of hope. Because you could easily think that all was lost right then. That that was their moment They failed in that moment, and God moved on. But praise God, he didn't. In fact, Jesus said just days before to Peter himself, when Peter declared that, he said, Satan has requested to sift you. And Jesus' response was, there's no way I'm going to let that happen. No, in fact, he said, but I have prayed that you will not fail. And then he went on to say right in the next verse, when this happens. So he knew it was going to happen. He knew that failure was going to come. But when the epiphany would come to Peter that he was forgiven, he said, then go and encourage your brothers. Then go and tell them there's hope. And the very one who said he would not do what he ended up doing, there is hope for you, so there is hope for everyone else. 
an extraordinary thought. That's where we sit right now. The Lord also showed me just moments ago and reminded me of those who were in the upper room before the giving of the Holy Spirit. See, think about the process of that. During Jesus' three-year ministry, thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands of thousands followed him. They were hungry for the miracles. They had seen the miracles. By the way, they weren't the only ones that followed him. So did the naysayers. But I want to I focus for a second on those that followed him, that saw the truth, that saw what happened, that there was no other explanation but God. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, probably the most prolific of his miracles because I believe it was the last one or certainly among the last ones. All these people that saw that knew there's no way that that could have been anything but God. They believed. They followed. Upon his entry into Jerusalem, they laid down palm branches and sang, literally confessing him as king, according to Scripture. See, it's not just that they were happy. You have to understand the prophecy of what was to come in the Jewish mind, in the rabbinical mind. They were proclaiming him as Messiah. That's why the Pharisees got upset and said, don't let them worship you. What they were really saying is, don't let them proclaim you as Messiah. Jesus said, hey, sorry, if they didn't, the rocks would. Because that proclamation is truth. Of all these people that followed him, that hungered for him, that went after him, how many did he take to the cross with him? None. None. That doesn't mean that there weren't many that believed. But see, you found a remnant after he was raised from the dead. Even that wasn't thousands upon thousands. It was only 120. And yet he showed himself to many more than that. Where was everybody else? I don't know. That'd be an interesting conversation when we get to heaven and just ask, where was everybody else? Where was their courage in probably one of the most difficult times? I mean, we think it's tough now in Nigeria for Christians, and it is. Nigeria was just proclaimed a few weeks ago, I read an article, proclaimed the number one country in the world against Christianity. More Christians killed in Nigeria than anywhere else in the world for the sake of the gospel. And yet the world has no idea. I I won't go down this road because we could spend hours right there. But the truth is 
that where were all these people that followed Jesus? Even those who saw him after being risen from the dead. Why were they not in that upper room? Why were there only 120 up in that upper room? Was the promise only given to them? This promise of the Holy Spirit? No, praise God, because if it was only given to them, we wouldn't be experiencing it right now. It was given to all who would believe, Scripture says. So why were there only 120? Out of tens of thousands that saw the reality of Him being the Messiah, and even proclaimed it. It's because there's a cost. There's a cost to the purification. There's a cost to walking in Him. There's a cost of faith in believing. That's really what failed with Peter at the trial of Jesus. It was his faith. His faith that faltered was then infused just days later by the reality of what Jesus said was going to happen. And I love, I love the story of Peter. Because the Bible talks a lot about him. And there is a distinct, different Peter before and after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Distinctly different. Fumbling, open mouth, insert foot kind of guy before. And literally, I mean... I, I, I love one of the best stories is, is in the Transfiguration when Jesus goes up the mountain and Peter's there and he's like, uh, 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 let me make tents. Let me, let, me, let me do this. It's good that I'm here. I literally don't think he knew what to say. And praise God that God just literally ignored him. And just proclaimed, this is my son. Listen to him. But then after the falling of the Holy Spirit, after the falling of the Holy Spirit, Peter is the first to stand up and preach right there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And wow, such a difference being filled with the Holy Spirit. But where were the others? Where were all the others over and above that 120? See, don't ever despise That time of purification. That time of testing. It's interesting, I was talking to John this morning. John's going through something very interesting and very exciting, is what I, I was telling him. It's something that the Lord has taken a few of us through and taking others through even now. I know Bryn is going through it or has gone through it. Alexis has gone through it. I've gone through it. And it's hard to say that past tense because I'm not sure that ever ends. And that is where God is teaching you to speak in the moment what he wants you to speak. John reached out this morning and asked for prayer because he leads the the men's class. And he said, the Lord hasn't given me anything, and I just need prayer. And But yet I, I, I kind of feel like that's how the Lord wants it, and he's going to do something. And that's a paraphrase. 
But that's basically what he reached out for prayer for. I got excited when I read it. Because, see, his heart wants the Lord. His heart wants to give God every ounce of who he is to do with what he wants. So, of course, he's going to go through this process. And guess what? I promise that same process of each one of you to give yourself to the Lord. Because that is a purification process that is difficult to go through. The disciples went through it. It's difficult to be ready to stand up in front of people, certainly a lot of people, and haven't a clue what the Lord wants you to speak on. I've shared this many times. It's, it's something I face every week. And I will say, John, it gets easier. In fact, what gets easier about it is how God proves himself over and over again that he'll do it. And your mind kind of gets to the point where, all right, as long as I'm just seeking you, I have full confidence that you'll do what you want. See, that's the purification process that is difficult. It's difficult because it fights the very control that we want in our lives. Innately. That's kind of, I don't know, call it our sinful flesh, call it our human will, human experience, whatever you want to call it. We all want to control the situation around us. We want to control our career. We want to control our children. We want to control our spouse. We want to control our, our friends. We want to control our faith. And until we give that control to the Lord, he can only go so far in that purification. We're the ones that close the door. We're the ones that put the stop on it. Not him. We're literally the ones that say, I will go to this point and not beyond. Even though our lips may say something different. That's why the testing is critical. Because the testing shows, do our words match our will, our heart? You know, the Lord was speaking with me this morning about faith. And he gave me a little bit different picture than something I had understood for the last 50 years. And it was kind of cool. Let's go to him in prayer before we get into that. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We love you. And we trust you. I trust you that you will do your will. I give you my mouth. I give you my will. I give you every piece of who I am. It is not my desire to stand in the way of what you want to speak in any way, but to do what you desire to do through me this morning. I say to you, I am hungry, just as those hearing me and certainly sitting here are hungry. We desire to hear from you. We are hungry for you. As Shannon spoke during worship, we want you.
So I pray that you speak through me according to your will, your words, and none of my own. And guide and perform your will this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't even remember when it was this morning. Uh, I might have been getting ready or something like that. I don't remember. But but the Lord put in my heart this idea of how faith moves mountains. And then, then I got thinking about the parable of the mustard seed. And, I mean, we all know that parable. The smallest seed. By the way, it's not the smallest seed in the world. Evolutionists use this to, oh, the Bible's wrong. It's not the smallest seed. The, the violet has a seed ten times smaller and blah, 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 blah. Okay, first of all, well, never mind. Second of all, <laughs> it's talking about the useful seeds for planting, for what they used, for what they did. I'm probably guessing they didn't have a lot of consumption of violets at the time. I don't even think those would taste very good. Do you? They're probably not. They're edible. They're edible. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure they'd taste that good. I, I don't know. Maybe they would. They smell good. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about this tiny seed that the farmers would use to plant and what it would become. What it would become is something pretty huge, much bigger than a violet flower, right? In fact, I don't know how they are here in the States, but over in Israel, they are enormous, and that's what he was talking about. Casey, go ahead and pull one up. I, I mentioned her during... during uh, Worship, I said that there's a possibility the Lord might have me talk on this, so find a picture. Okay, that right there, you see the gazelles under it, so I'm guessing that's probably in Africa, I don't know. Um, maybe in Israel. Are there gazelles in Israel? I don't know. But it's a tree. And it's, you see up in the upper left-hand corner this tiny little seed in the palm of a, of a hand. And, and you look at that and you see that little seed becomes this big tree. And Jesus said, in fact, let, let's turn there. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to begin at verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Let's put that picture back up. So you see in the tree, it's certainly big enough to house birds of the air. Big enough to not be considered a bush or 
or a mere plant, right? And it came from this tiny seed. And, and what God is saying here is the kingdom of heaven is like this grain of mustard seed that begins small and then grows to something huge. And, and I don't know about you, I've heard messages, you know, my whole life and even taught messages talking about how if you had this faith that was only the size of this mustard seed, then you could do great things. In fact, let, let's go to that. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Just go a couple pages over or a few screens over if you're on a, a digital media. Matthew chapter 17 And it's about Jesus healing a boy with a demon. I want to read this story. Starting at verse 14, he said, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus' response was this. O faithless and twisted generation. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, wow, that's just pretty harsh. But the reality of God's kingdom coming to this earth requires that understanding of his harsh plans. O faithless and twisted generation. The twisted part is not twisted in terms of sin. It's twisted in terms of faith. Twisted in terms of being able to see what God wants for this place. So again, Verse 17, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Remember, Jesus had been showing them what it looks like to have the kingdom of heaven manifest here on earth. He literally showed them through the performance of miracles. Something that does not happen in this realm. It happens in his kingdom realm. But yet manifests in this realm. Did you know that's what a miracle is? That's what miraculous healing is. It is a problem that has occurred in this realm that is then straightened out or fixed by the kingdom realm. Jesus' realm, but yet then manifest here on earth. You know, there's two things that happen, and there is a distinct difference between the two. We know we've, we've been praying as, as a church for Carson for years, long before we were a church. And the Lord has said that he is already healed. And we believe that a hundred percent, a hundred thousand percent. He believes that a hundred percent, that he is already healed. He is healed in the kingdom sense. He is healed in 
God's kingdom. That kingdom that God wants to manifest here on earth. The kingdom Jesus literally paid to be manifest here on earth and said it would happen. Right? He said that you will do more of these miracles than even I did. Because I go to the Father. And I'm in the Father's ear. And I'm working with you with the Father. So you're going to do more. Guess what? That's never happened. You know that. We've talked about that. That's never happened, but it's about to. Because what is it? It is that kingdom realm reality being made manifest here. That's what Jesus showed That's what he showed in the healings. That's what he showed in the resurrection. That's what he showed even in the casting out of demons like what we're reading right here. We've dealt a lot here at Ignition with witchcraft, with casting out of demons. That doesn't happen in this realm, guys. If you try to combat Satan and his forces in this realm, guess what's going to happen? (laughs) I don't subscribe to you going to watch it, but it's exactly what happened in The Exorcist. That movie that you guys should not have watched. Right? That priest got the snot beat out of him. Kind of like the sons of Sceva. I think it's Sceva. Am I saying that right? Because they were trying to perform what would happen in God's kingdom here in this realm with these assets. Just their raw human faith, perhaps. Perhaps some chanting, whatever they were trying to do. I have no idea. But it is until we connect with his kingdom... And understand his will being done in his kingdom that he wants to be done on earth as it is in his kingdom. When those two things merge by faith, that's when you start to see what Jesus Christ did on this earth. And that's when we're going to see it happen In the measure that he has promised. So verse 18. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said. Why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them. Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. First of all, I've I've taught it for years. That man, all you need is this tiny little bit of faith. Just this little bit of faith and it's going to move a mountain. But, you know, not like the big physical mountains. That's not what God was talking about. He was talking about things that are just obstacles. Or forgive me. Believe what he says. Believe what he says. He means what he says and he says what he means. Because if we have the faith of a grain of mustard seed... 
then those mountains that are physical mountains, real mountains, can be moved. Because it is the connection of God's kingdom to this kingdom where he said, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in his kingdom. When we agree with his will in heaven, he does it if we have the faith for it to be done. Period. Now the epiphany that the Lord gave me this morning is that faith is not sized by the size of that seed. What he was saying to me is, no, Greg, you got it backwards. It's not that all you need is a little bit of faith. See, because the example he was giving was the faith of that seed had the faith to become a tree. What an extraordinary thought. If your faith is just to make it through this life, perhaps in comfort or perhaps whatever, God will use you according to the measure of faith you allow Him to use you with. What He's saying is have faith to go way beyond what you think you can do. Agree with His kingdom. Agree with what He's doing in His kingdom. Don't shy away from that. Faith is a critical, critical thing. In fact, it is the most precious thing that we possess. Our faith. It is the true equalizer. (laughs) Think about that. On this earth, people are judged by their status, by their wealth, by their position, sometimes maybe by their looks, whatever. They're judged on these external means. And yet that's not how God judges. God knows the heart. But what does he know in the heart? He knows your faith. Because your faith is produced from your heart. It's not produced from your words. The words are declaration that you make. But that faith comes from the heart. Not from that declaration. I can say all day that I declare this to happen and I believe it will happen. But if that faith isn't in my heart, then it's void. It's like Paul says, a tinkling cymbal in what needs to be a huge band. It's nothing. It's empty. It's void. And yet he wants our faith to be something that is so far beyond what we could ever achieve in the physical. That is bringing his kingdom here to this earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So he's not saying I need you to have a little bit of faith. He's saying just the opposite. He said, don't put a limit on your faith. Listen to his voice, but never limit your belief in what he says. 
oh my goodness, we, we could spend hours here. Because that's what the church has done. Do you know the church has, has come to a point of learning things, learning his word, his logos word, this written down word, and have treated it like that's all there is. Have treated it that if I understand the elements of what this says, then I'll be okay. Without literally inserting the faith of what it says. Because most churches don't really believe what this says, even though they say they do. I grew up in an entire denomination like that. They don't believe literally what they say they believe. And the excuse, and, and I get it. I taught for years. I get it. It was like, well, yeah, but that's not for now. That's the easy way to get away with it. Well, yeah, but that was for then. That's not for now. And, and, and that'll be for when Jesus comes back again. Guess what? When Jesus comes back again, it's not going to be necessary. That faith is not going to be necessary. Read 1 Corinthians 13. When we see him face to face, prophecy is no longer necessary. None of those giftings are necessary any longer. Why? Because he's with us. He's here. We see him face to face. But it is necessary now. It is the very vehicle he uses to do his will. This, this faith. That's why it says in Hebrews that it's faith that pleases him. Do you please him this morning? Do you please him in your faith? Do you please him because you receive something, you know it's him, and you don't argue? You just step in faith and say, I believe. That's what John had to do this morning. Because nobody was pulling him out of that. Nobody was going to come in and rescue and say, oh, John, I got this. Don't worry about it. No, because God needed the faith that John would pour in and say, I will listen to you in the moment. And I'll know it's you because I know your voice. Do you understand? That's really what produces faith. Right? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Right? That's an extraordinary thing. In fact, let's turn there. Um, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. I love this because this describes the need of those to be vocal about Jesus Christ. But then he goes and he explains why or how those things happen. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 10 says this. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Talking about Jesus Christ, by the way, obviously. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Oh man, those, those verses are so precious to those who God calls. Which, by the way, if you look, you're going to find yourself in that cycle. No matter what. He didn't separate it all. He said, this cycle is important. The cycle includes those who pray, those who send, those who speak. It includes all of them. It includes everyone. And, and by the way, at different moments in your life as a Christian, if you let God do it, you'll become all three. There will be a place where you share the gospel. It may be up on a stage in front of people. It may not be. That doesn't matter. Because it, it doesn't quantify that here. It says, how beautiful are those who, beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That means even one-on-one. -on -one. That means even wherever you share it. But I want to continue, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. We all accept that, right? Faith comes from absorbing this word, from believing this word. Would you all agree with me? Would you all agree that that's everything? Yeah. You'd be wrong if you said it was. Because that's actually not even what it says. If you pull up the Greek word there for the word word, <laughs> it's not logos. It's not what is shown as the written word. The word there in Greek is rima. It's an utterance. It is what the voice of God speaks. Now, his word, these 66 books by over 40 authors, is his spoken word. I'm not saying it's not. It absolutely is. But I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and certainly there are millions of people who that is all they know. They do not believe that God speaks even now, and they miss the very utterance that he wants to speak into your life and into your faith right now. That is why the church has been where the church has been for 2,000 years, because Satan immediately fought against the voice of the Lord. Immediately. He even fought to have this published at different times in history. I mean, by the way, that's what the Dark Ages were. If you go and look back at history, the Dark Ages were because there was an attempt to get rid of the Word of God. So it could not be easily understood. So, so those back then, it, it, even in... 
in the times of Christ and thereafter, it, it wasn't that like it is today where everybody has a Bible. I don't know how many Bibles we have in our house. I'm, I'm going to guess physical Bibles. We probably have 30 or 40 in our house. And then I've got, I don't know, 20 translations that are on my iPad or phone. It wasn't like that back then. Back then in Jesus' time, if you wanted to hear the Word of God, you had to go to the synagogue and they would read the Word of God. Right? Which, which by the way, is, is really an interesting study. That's what he did to literally begin his ministry. He went into the synagogue, he read from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and he said, today, today this is fulfilled. I mean, and their reaction was that they all believed and loved him and built some big house for him, and he was just so loved. And, and the end of the story. Yeah, not quite, right? No, in fact, he was hated. This was in his own hometown in Nazareth. He was hated so much they walked him to a cliff to throw him off. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty insane to me. I disagree with you. Come here. I want to kill you. That's literally what they did. And, and I love the end of that story. Is Jesus walked through the midst of them and left. Oh, man, if I could, I'd give anything to have watched that. Because, by the way, that didn't happen in the physical realm. It happened in the spirit. I don't know if he walked in the spirit or if he blinded their eyes in the spirit. I, I have no idea. That's why it'd be cool to watch. But the truth is, he was taken out of there. And I'm, I'm sure they're wondering, what in the world happened to Jesus? That carpenter's son who just blasphemed, we need to get rid of him. Right? But this idea of faith coming by hearing is shut down if you do not believe that God will speak to you. God speaks. God is living, breathing. Even the Word of God, even... How I grew up, I believed in the inspired Word of God. We, we almost have a haughty, you know, feeling about that. Well, what do you believe? My core beliefs, I believe that the Word of God is alive and inspired and God breathed. Yay, me. Fact is, it's truth. Fact is, He is still breathing it. Fact is, he is still saying it. The difference is, he is applying it to you personally. Right? He's saying, I want to say this to you. I am living. I am breathing. I am speaking to you. You're the one that chooses not to hear me. And when we choose not to hear him, what fails? Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing the rhema word of God. The uttered word of God. Now you could sit and believe that, okay, well now I need to start listening to the Bible on audio. And by the way, that's awesome. Do it. 
Man, that, that's such a help to me, especially with my eyes going bad. It's so awesome to... It, it, I started doing that years ago, and to me it was like Jesus telling me a story. You know, when you're a little kid, you're getting tucked into bed, and mom tells you a story. Now, as an adult, you know, you got to be a little more cool than that. But it's still Jesus telling you a story. That's what it is. But that's what his talking to you also is. He is a personal God. He loves you personally. He died for you personally. Just you. He wants to talk to just you. That doesn't negate anything in his word. In fact, it goes with it. We're told in 1 John that we are, we are to test all spirits. How do we test the spirits? We test them according to his word, his Logos word. The word that we know that has been written down, that God-breathed word, we go to that. And it's, it gives us a blueprint of his character. And anything that he tells you personally will never disagree with his character. Now, understand what I'm telling you. It may disagree with your interpretation of what his word says. But it will never disagree with his intent. Do you see what I'm saying? When you see something that is different there, that's where you have to press in. Uh, so many times the Lord has shown me in his word, even, even this morning is just a, probably a small example, but where he's shown me something in his word that I took differently, or I, took, I understood it to be different than what it was. Just this idea of faith, that all you need is a little bit of faith. No, guess what a little bit of faith gets you? It gets you a ticket to heaven. It doesn't take much to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. It really doesn't. Doesn't take much at all to receive him into your heart as Messiah. That, by the way, guys, is the broad road. The broad road is not what leads to hell. That's not what that is talking about. It's talking about intimacy with Jesus Christ. That broad road is about you taking control yourself. And the narrow road is giving him full control of your life. So when we walk in faith, we hear his voice, we learn his voice. We first learn his voice from his word. Because you can't know his voice without knowing his character. Without knowing who he is. He won't reveal to you his voice until he has revealed his character. Do you understand? But then as you open up your relationship with him and you walk in relationship with him and you step in that faith that he wants you to grow in, you begin to hear and you accept what he, what he says by faith. That's where the faith continues to increase. Man, I, I, I won't use any other example than my own life for this. 
Because with that example, I can speak with authority. I know from the first time I really learned his voice, maybe eight to ten years ago. Now, it wasn't that he wasn't speaking to me before that, by the way. I've been saved for 50 years, 40, 49 years, something like that. It was that I wasn't hearing it. He speaks to all of you all the time. The difference is, sometimes we hear it, sometimes we don't. But when I started to understand his voice, and I started to know it was his voice, it was because he had already shown me who he was in Scripture, and literally said, you cannot get beyond that until you believe that. Believe the Scripture. Believe that I will never leave you or forsake you. But yet, when we find ourselves in a situation where we feel alone, the enemy wants us to believe that we're forsaken. That's a very normal thing. It's a very human thing. Jesus even went through it on the cross. When he said, why have you forsaken me? By the way, that wasn't an indictment. That was a cry out of his humanity. Because he felt alone. But yet he wasn't. That's where the faith begins, is believing in the scripture. Believing in what he has said here. Believing that he wants to bring his kingdom to bring it to manifest here. It's already here, but literally, why do you think that's one of the things he wants us to pray? When the disciples said, teach us how to pray, he said, you know, that things on earth be as things in heaven. In other words, things be done on earth as things in his kingdom. Because he wants it to manifest here. So I want to encourage you, your faith has to be such that you hear his utterances, you know his character, you know it's him, and you step in what he says. Even the smallest of steps builds faith. See, that mustard seed doesn't, you don't just add water and poof, you have a tree. It's a process. It's a process that grows. It's a process just like our lives that grow in giving him our faith. Every single day, he wants faith from you. Every single day, if you let him, he will speak to you and expect you to walk in that faith, to give your yes in that faith. And we find ourselves in very different times. If you haven't realized this yet, you're about to. If it hasn't hit you yet because you live in a town of 300 people and the world doesn't really, you know, affect you except for what you watch on TV, even they will be affected. It's coming to a town near you. (laughs) Why? 
because it's this purification. It is this testing. It is the reading of the bride. But it is literally for us to step in the faith of that mustard seed. That a mountain will be moved. That God will do what he said he's going to do. And we've shared this many times. Man, if, if you need some proof of what to believe in, let's sit down. Let's talk. Or, or better yet, just go through the podcasts. See what the Lord wants to do with the bride here on this earth before the, the rapture. It's, it's not conjecture. There's, there's proof in his word of what he wants to do. He says it over and over again, but do you believe it? I, I encourage you to become understanding of what he wants to do and then believe. Pour your faith. If you think that your faith pouring into that only affects you, you're incorrect. Because faith is a gift. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians that every gift is for the benefit of the bride. Your faith is for the benefit of the bride. You believing in your own four walls, closed into yourself, nobody else knows, doesn't affect anybody. Yes, it does. Because before, your, your, before God, your faith matters. And when you believe, he puts it in this pot, mixed up with everybody else's faith, and that pot rises up until it overflows. That's what moves the heart of God. It's faith. It is faith is what pleases him. That's what moves his heart. That is what is going to bring his kingdom here. You know, I mentioned earlier about the profound statement that Jesus made, which literally started his ministry and, you know, was his first offense that they tried to kill him over. You know, in fact, I want you to turn. Well, that's Psalm 61, or I mean, uh, Isaiah 61. We're going to go there, but I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3. Because this is, or no, 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 sorry, let's do this. Go to Luke chapter 4. This is where Jesus literally had this happen. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to begin at verse 16. And, oh, man, if we certainly, certainly heaven has video of all this. We'll be able to watch it on video, maybe. Surround sound. VHS. VHS. Okay, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And that's Jesus, of course. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now, this was not the first time he had done this. In fact, we know back when he was 12, he did that in Jerusalem, right? He went into the, the thing, and, and that's what was so confusing. He stood up and read, and, and he was teaching, and they were all in awe that this 12-year-old is, has this knowledge of Scripture. You know, how insane is this? But So Jesus was doing the thing that he had done many, many times, although this time was different, because of what had just happened. Remember, two events had just happened. 
before he went, went into the synagogue. One, he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Read that. It, it's really phenomenal. That's where he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then two, he was taken into the wilderness and tempted for 40 days. So after he comes out of that, he goes back to Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue and stands up to read just like he had done many times before. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He did not ask for it. It was given to him to read. Because that's the custom how it was. They would decide what is to be read. And then whoever the person was reading would read that scroll. So Isaiah 61 was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Verse 18. And this is what comes from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of the synagogue were all fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And then Jesus becomes offensive. He says, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah and and so forth, so on. He offended them. He offended them so much to where they wanted to kill him. But let's go back. I want you to notice something about verses 18 and 19, which is from Isaiah 61. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor which Jesus did, or was about to do. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, which literally he did, right? He, he came to set the captives free. And recovering sight of the blind, he did that. He healed many that were blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, he brought freedom to those who would believe. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he stopped, he rolled up the scroll, and set it aside. Something you don't notice there unless you go to Isaiah 61. So let's go to Isaiah 61. And let's, let's just read. Because it's word for word. Jesus literally said it word for word. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are, who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You notice in the scroll of Isaiah, it did not stop there, even though Jesus stopped it, set it down and said, today this is truth and has been made manifest. 
Right? But what does the scroll go on to say? And to proclaim not only the year of the Lord's favor, but and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So why did Jesus not add that piece in? It's because it was not for that day. He came to set the captives free. He came to proclaim His kingdom being made and brought to this earth. By the way, that happened throughout His life, but the ability for it to happen did not, unha- did not happen until His resurrection. He did not pay for that to happen until He died. When He died and shed His blood, it paid for that to happen. Truly, the second part of that verse is what you're experiencing now. That is what is coming. That is the process that is begun. That is the time that we are in. His day of vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. What vengeance? God's, you know, so nice. He's love. He, he's, he's so good. He's patient. He's kind. He's not willing that any should perish. We forget that he's righteous. We forget that his plan is to be close to us. To literally fulfill the payment that Jesus made with his own blood and flesh. And that is the payment to be close to you. Those who would choose him. Not justified of sin, not salvation. But those who would give their will in relationship to him. That is the remnant that he is building. That day of vengeance is literally Revelation 3, where it talks about the lukewarm being spit out. I don't know what spit out means. I'm sure it will mean different things in different situations. But what I do know it means is that there's a separation. There's a separation of the lukewarm and the warm. The cold are already separated. They're already separated. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Understand that. That's that's a very important point. But of the lukewarm and the warm, there will be a separation. There is even a separation going on now. That separation is in our choices We're all being forced to choose. Have you ever seen it more prolific than now? Everybody is being forced to choose. Everybody. Even people that would normally not say a word. You see them having to speak. Almost like there's this compulsion in them to have an opinion. Because God says, I will have it on the record. He will have it on the record what their choice is because his judgment on his bride is righteous is fair 
is right. Because it's not based on us. It is literally based on him and what he wants in relationship with us. That's what Jesus purchased. He didn't just purchase you not to go to hell. If you think that's all it was, then you cheapen his blood. That's not what it was. He paid the way for you to be close to him. For you to be able to hear his voice. So it can literally increase the faith in the gifting that he has given you. That you can become this enormous tree out of this tiny little seed. That's what's coming of his remnant. And those who would believe, don't think that you don't have anything to do with that. Your faith has everything to do with that. Because when we, when we partner our faith with him, that's when he moves. That's when his kingdom becomes manifest. And I'll say one last thing because I think this is an important point. We know that these miraculous things are coming. We know Carson's healing is coming. We know others' healing here is coming. We know the miracles that we long to see are coming. We know that by faith, not because we've seen them. Right? We've, we've all been told miracles that are coming. How about the raising of the dead? I would probably be fairly confident to say, raise your hands if you've ever seen that happen here, and no one would raise their hand. We've perhaps heard of it. I've heard of it. I've read stories. I have heard from the mouths of people that were those who claimed to have been raised. Now, by the way, I believe it. I believe it. But I wasn't there. So I, I can't first person attest to it. But we're about to. We're about to. And those come in the Lord's timing. Understand, prophecy has a timing that is the Lord's, not a timing that is man's. I can't take a prophecy of his and, and kind of make it my own and say, okay, well, it's going to happen here because that's what I think. <laughs> By the way, learn that one the hard way. And, and that's an important lesson to, to learn. Because every prophecy has a point in which God has it planned to do what it is. So I say this for this reason because it's, it's an interesting dichotomy to believe that, the, that God can do the miraculous and step in that miraculous and then not see it happen. We, we live through this every day here at Ignition. Right? Now, we have seen miraculous. I have seen somebody healed when I laid a hand on them. But I can't tell you how many times I've prayed over Carson laying a hand on him, and he still has the difficulties that he has. Right? Many of us have. We pray for people here after service all the time. Sometimes we see an immediate reaction. Sometimes we don't. 
Okay, so, so does that mean that God's promises are just kind of, you know, kind of halfway there? No. His promises are yes and amen. They are complete. They are pure. They are absolute. And they come in his timing. Recognize that what is coming is not just because we will believe it into be. Do you understand me? That, okay, well, we just need to believe harder next time we pray. Yes, believe harder, but it's not dependent upon that. It is dependent upon the timing in which the Lord will pour out his spirit. Because it is coming and it will, it will hit us. You will see it. I promise you that. You will see it. There's so many times that I've gone to the Lord about, Lord, I, you told me to pray for this person. It didn't happen. Why? And he said, that's not your job. He said, your job is to believe and to do what I tell you to do. So that's what I do. I pray and I believe. Because there will come a time where he will fill me with his Holy Spirit that I will know the difference. I will. Just like Peter did. When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, he knew it. It wasn't just this elation of, oh, okay, I feel good now. Something's going on. I can't answer for anybody else, but I know for me that it will be an understanding of God's power placed in me, and that is literally the readiness to move forward in those things that he has promised. Does that mean that until that point, I'm at a point of failure? No. Unless I don't pray. Unless I don't believe. We're to be at a point of belief every moment until he does it. Do you think, do you think that Peter did not believe what he was saying when he said, I would die for you? Of course he did. I don't believe for a second that was lip service. I believe what it was was him declaring his heart. That's why Jesus said, I will pray for you. And when you come through it, because I know that you will encourage your brothers. And Peter did. His belief was tested. There was failure. But then look what happened after the Holy Spirit was infused into his life. And it's different than what we experience now. Please understand this. Because I hear these preachers all the time. Say, well, you know, if, you, if, if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come and you will receive His power and everything else. I'm not going to go against that. But in all those times, I can attest to the fact that it's different than what happened to Peter at Pentecost. Just like it will be different... What happens to those in the remnant that God chooses to work through when, the, when it's his timing? You're all going to see it 
We're all going to see it. It's going to happen. And the world will hear about it just like the world heard about it then. The only difference now is we have the Internet. And it's going to get around a lot quicker. But trust me, it's going to happen. Be on the side of believing that. Be on the side of pouring your faith into what God wants in that pool of faith that he is doing. Because there comes a point where it's ready. Where his remnant is ready. And he pours his spirit out. Just like at Pentecost. They went from 120 to 3,000 in a couple of hours. And then in a couple days added another five. Now, not that it's about the numbers. It's not. It's about the effect. And this was all during a time of persecution, by the way. Don't expect that to change with our nation. All of a sudden, you know, the Lord's power comes in power and everything's good. And literally people are being raised from the dead. And, and Joe Biden, you know, oh, we will change our administration because now we believe. I, I really hope he does. Because it'll be individual choice. But don't expect the administration to change. Because the administration is literally the testing that God has pushed them to become. That will be the war that God intends to be won through the result of his power. That's what his Holy Spirit will do. Believe. Just believe. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us faith to believe. You said faith is a gift. But it's not some blanket, boxed gift that you give each person in measure. Because when we exercise faith, you do give us more. Just as the parable of the talent says, when we steward well what you give us, you give us more. It is never so relevant than in the thought of faith. Father, as we steward the faith that you give us, and we believe, and we hear your voice, and we walk and we step in agreement with your voice, you increase our faith. Bring your remnant to a place of full belief. Father, I know I speak for many, but I will speak for myself to say that I believe everything that you tell me. Even though many of those things, if I were to say them out loud, would have me walked to the nearest cliff. I'm just trusting that as you did with Jesus, you would get me out of there according to your will. But I will believe. I know others of your remnant will believe, will trust even in the face of some of those closest to them 
being in their face saying no. Just like Jesus had in Nazareth, this was his family. These were his friends, people that he grew up with and knew. His own brothers didn't believe until after his resurrection. Lord, we believe. I believe. Father, give us an expansion of your voice so that we can hear. And upon that hearing, our faith can increase. I thank you for it. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.